Hello and welcome to the International Schools Podcast. My name is Dan Taylor. My name is John Micton. Join us twice a month at the International Schools Podcast as we have conversations with international school leaders, educators, and entrepreneurs working and engaging in the world of international schools and education. And finally, just to say a huge thank you to our sponsor, Asa for Education, for making this podcast happen. Now on to the episode. Welcome to the International Schools Podcast. I'm your co-host, John, and Dan is out today, but sends his regards. Thank you so much for all the traffic on the last chat we had about ChatGPT3 with Wolfgang, Warren, and uh, Greg. That generated a lot of comments, and I think that's still a very hot topic. But I think somehow in tandem, it's interesting that we're going to talk about this topic because it really dovetails nicely into what we were talking about, artificial intelligence. Today, I am really honored and privileged to have four tech integrationists from around the globe. So we're being really uh, sticking to our belief of international schools. And we're gonna talk about does tech integration actually work and kind of unpack what that might mean in the context of a primary elementary school and a secondary. So I have a good friend, Kim House, who is based out of Munich at the Bavarian International School. I have Aisha, who is in Singapore at Stanford. I have Denai, who is in Saigon at the Saigon International School, and Cora, who is in Hong Kong. And Cora, I'm embarrassed, I forgot your school. Could you quickly tell us? Uh, Renaissance College, Hong Kong. Cora, who's in Renaissance College, and all these uh, guests are just absolutely outstanding integrationists, do some phenomenal work in their different contexts. And I definitely encourage you to go to the show notes, read their bios, but they've put their social media links, so you might want to be following them or maybe have them part of your professional learning network. And they very kindly put some uh, resources there. So definitely do spend some time on the show notes. We also have some research that we put on the show notes. And that is some research from John Hattie and Dr. Aaron Hamilton about not all glitters and gold education technology does it finally deliver. And we also have some articles on the obstacles and research on uh, teacher attitudes towards tech integration, which is a research study from Court and Hussing in 2007. And then we have Anne Gazel's Why Do Teachers are reluctant sometimes to incorporate technology, and then a wonderful study by uh, by the EU on the impact of technology learning in schools, not only in the context of international, but EU uh, public schools. Great. Well, let's kick in. The question that I'm provoking uh, our guests with is, does tech integration work with a model of digital coach, an integration facilitator, a tech coach, coming into the classroom to co-teach and collaborate with the classroom teacher? And that's the question we want to kind of unpack. And I'm going to start off with Kim, your thoughts. <laughs> um, big answer, yes. Certain conditions apply. So I think the most successful conditions are when, of course, when you have teachers on board, um, when you have clarity of what those skills are, um, that you're expecting. Um, when you have units of inquiry, if you're an if you're a, um, IB school or otherwise, if you've got units that actually facilitate that happening where it's not an icing on the cake situation where if I have time, I might. Um, it needs to be fully part of what the kids are doing and learning on a day-to-day -day basis. So the teacher has buy-in because they feel like I'm not wasting my time or I'm not having to do something extra on top of. Um, I think when those conditions exist, then it's very successful. You don't need to convince the kids. The kids are fully convinced from the minute you mention anything with technology. It's the teachers who can sometimes be the stumbling block there if they can't figure out how it fits in. So, Thank you, Kim. Deny your thoughts. And uh, Deny is at Saigon International School. Okay. Um, I had to look at the question again because Kim started off with my points. <laughs> uh, Which is good. That's good. That's a good sign. Yeah, it, it confirms it confirms what I've been thinking. I, I agree that um, it can work or it cannot work. It can work if it is done properly. And looking at the question here, the question says, with a model of a digital coach, integration facilitator, or an ed tech coach, any of those roles. And looking at it, I think that 
not everybody is on the same page, on the same level of technology uh, use and being comfortable using technology. And, and I think the technology culture integrationist integrator is kind of the, 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 the middleman, the go-between there that can come in and share some expertise and some knowledge when it comes to the technical part of using the technology. Because I think looking at some of the documents, the resources that you've shared, uh, sometimes when teachers are not comfortable using the technology, they will not use it. When the technology is not being used um, to its fullest, then we won't really see the benefits of the technology integration. So the coach there is kind of the bridge in between to make sure that it all works properly. And I love that term bridge because I think that's really mm -hmm. important is this idea of building. It's a very positive kind of construct, this idea of bridging understanding, as you said, of the tech and then the coaching. Cora, you're in a secondary context, and I think it'd be really interesting because secondary school brings a different dynamic. You work in middle and secondary. What are your thoughts about this yeah. model of tech integration? I think I'm a big advocate of this tech model because I used to teach technology lessons individually. So I can see this different parts. But for the secondary, because we have more stress pressure from examinations, academic stress there. So I do think this is working because it's kind of like getting this extra person who kind of stay connected with the latest technology, who try to figure out how to apply this technology to their teaching kind of uh, just help teachers to uh, relieve their stress, try to figure out how this works and be more targeting to the teachers when we're coming to this tailored technology to different subjects. And also, I think this is a really great way to show not only students, but teachers, especially for secondary students, they have their own more individual like mindsets. They were like, why are we using technology? But instead of teaching them individually, you kind of put this thing in the certain context, like learning context. So they wouldn't know, including teachers, they wouldn't know how powerful this technology could be. Because a part of the reason of teaching this, um, using technology for learning, it's also to help them get ready for the future. Now we have AI, in the future we might have something more advanced, and they wouldn't know that, oh, what's going on, and they get ready for the changing world. Excellent. And I think this idea of getting them ready for the future, and I think you brought up the, uh, the issue of AI and all these accelerations in technology, uh, you know, the explosion of the kind of power of these tools is so important. Aisha, your thoughts, and you have uh, also, you've come from a leadership position, and now you are working also as a digital learning coach working in primary. Your thoughts? So I've had some really great points raised. I do think it needs to be an agreed approach by the school. So the teachers and the admin need to be in agreement that coaching will build and grow our teachers. When that piece of the puzzle is built, then getting into the planning sessions and building the bridge between the curriculum and what we're doing in our classroom, is our role is to help build a deep understanding of the tools that are invaluable, but we always start with the why. What are we trying to achieve with our students? And then going in in the co-instructional model and act actually helping the teachers get through those lessons and understand, I mean, the children are often exceeding even the three of the four of our knowledge. Like their knowledge is so far beyond what we know that it's about building the teacher's confidence that if you get into trouble, one of these kids in your room will know the answer. And these are really great pluses, but there's also some challenges. And in my school, we have literacy and numeracy coaches, and it's really easy to measure their effectiveness. We can see a shift in reading results. We can see a shift in math results. How do we measure as EdTech coaches, digital coaches, our impact over and above just providing really great engaging lessons so in international schools, this could be problematic. In Australia, we have a digital technologies curriculum, which is very easy to map growth and to differentiate the learning in the space. 
it can be a little trickier in international schools. So I know that'll probably a good segue to our next question around, you know, discrete digital skills as opposed to these more integrated skills across the curriculum when we're going in and we, whether it's inquiry, whether it's literacy, whether it's numeracy, we're spreading our skill set across many different learning spaces. Thank you, Aisha. And I think it's so important. There are a couple of things that really resonated for me is this relationship with the curriculum and the administration, that everybody's on the same page. That's really important. And your point's a very good one with numeracy and literacy. You can have map testing. There's some very concrete measurements that you can do, and you can say, yes, there's progress. And in one of Hattie's researches, he actually is quite provocative, saying there is no evidence through the research that he's done that there is any learning, uh, learning, well, there is learning that occurs, but the benefits are still not clear. Deny. Um, I agree. And I wanted to add on, um, just bring up the point that um, sometimes the results can be direct and sometimes they can be indirect as well. Uh, just because you've used technology, you've allowed students to uh, express themselves and show their thinking in a way that they wouldn't have using paper. And so you get to see what the children have really learned and what and their thought process, and you can actually help them where they need help. Because you've used technology, you might be able to engage with a particular student, and it might actually increase their uh, morale in the class and their participation because, okay, I now have this particular connection with the teacher. I feel I can express myself even more, even without the technology present. So those are some of the benefits that might be indirect. I like that idea of the indirect benefits and definitely the empowerment and the sense of agency that children might have. Aisha? And just building on that idea, it's very important that when we are in the classroom with our teachers in that co-instructional model, that we are really focusing on that, that if the children are leading the space or becoming the expert or really sharing their understanding with their peers, that we are modelling that empowerment for our students and hopefully sending the message to our teachers that it is okay to not have to be the person at the centre of the learning all the time. Yeah, and I think that's really important, that message. And yeah, thank you for highlighting the importance of modeling that. One of the things that, you know, often over the years that I have been a digital coach and, and as a leader, in as an IT director, et cetera, often people say the, the goal of our job is to make ourselves redundant. And I don't really see that happening. And the question is, what is it that we're still grappling with this issue of technology integration? What do you think are some of the, the one of the biggest challenges you each have faced in this narrative of trying to integrate technology? And maybe I'll start with Kim. We'll go around and then we can just open it up. Kim. I found, I mean, I'm, this is the first year I'm back in the classroom. So I'm in grade five. Um, having been a tech coach, ICT, all of those roles um, for a very long time. So it's been an interesting shift for me to see from a teacher's perspective again, um, what's kind of what the what the hurdles are. Um, so I have the advantage that obviously I have the skills and I'm not struggling with that part. But what the biggest challenge I think for teachers is that, that transparency piece of what are these skills and when how do who's teaching them um, and how is it not taking time, extra time, right? Teachers are so, so strapped for time. Um, so it has to be, which is why the integration is so important. We start talking about teaching these as separate classes. You're taking time away from the curriculum again. Um, so it has to be within what they're already doing. Um, so that's where that transparency piece has to come in. And like Denai said, we are that bridge then that can help them to see what those skills are that need to be taught, where the opportunities lie, to model it for those teachers, to do it for the teachers if we need to, um, and be their partner within the classroom. So it really is time and transparency, I suppose, of, of the skills, what needs to be done. 
And I think your point about time is so important, you know, just looking what teachers have in a day and then their kids go to PE, to music in a secondary school. They might have multiple electives. There's an assembly. There are always these interruptions. So that sense of time becomes quite stressful for teachers feeling that they don't have time. And especially in the secondary school, where often it's exam driven and content needs to be covered. And there's only a finite moment to do that. I think that's quite challenging. Cora, what is, in your context of being in a secondary school, what would you say is one of the big challenges you've been grappling with? Um, so I've never been to any subject teacher, classroom teacher. Just from my perspective, I think the biggest challenge, like, again, several people has men have mentioned about this. It's like about if teachers willing, teachers are willing to work with you. A lot of times, like, lot of stress and teachers time gonna be shared with different like grading reports or uh, planning and there's no time no extra effort or energy for them just to try to work with you and it's really hard the other thing i found it's really hard is like a lot of schools they might not have this policy support so uh, like admin and coach and maybe like line managers they are not on the same page they don't have very clear definitions about uh, um, what your job is and i heard about other coaches not me but i heard about other coaches like they were assigned uh, as a coach at the beginning eventually teacher like school adds on more and more lessons for them so the coaching time is not protected and this is also a big big challenge um I think other than that, so for secondary, what I usually do, I started with mini projects. So we always do short term. And because this actually comes to another challenge, which is consistency. Uh, like you mentioned, a lot of times we have this holiday, that holiday, this activity, that assembly got interrupted with all of the things. So what I usually do, I would start with really short project, short-term project, small project, like one lesson or two lessons. And if this goes well, I would encourage this, like the subject teachers to write this into the curriculum for next year, for the year after that, so make it a consistent. Excellent. And I think your point about the uh, line managers and the admin and the coaches having been on the same page, and that's true, often coaches get an extra... Uh, there's a shortage of teachers or they do one discrete class and then there's never really a window of time to be able to connect with the teachers and it just becomes quite challenging. Aisha. For me, John, it's about we almost feel like we're in a space now in teaching where we're not just spoiled for choice, but we're overwhelmed by choice. There are so many tools on the market that are very similar, do the same thing, and our teachers just don't know where to start. And so for me, one of the challenges is really you know, not getting sidelined by the dazzle, being a dazzling new thing, but actually understanding what we're trying to achieve in the curriculum what is our purpose, and then going to the tool, whereas our teachers can sometimes come and say, oh, I found this really fantastic tool without understanding the why. Why would you use that? How would it enhance the learning? What would the children be getting out of that tech tool? And so I think part of our role is also to filtering out all of the different tools that are on the market and streamlining and going for less is more approach. You know, what is best? and what will help us do the value added that we need with our children. And that's so important, that question is, what is the value added to the proposition that you're bringing? And I think, Cora, you talked about that consistency, making sure we have that consistency, we're building those learning pathways, are scaffolded. No, this is so true. And I think it's really good to hear these different components as we all, uh, you know, educators and leaders grapple with this question. Deny your thoughts. Something I noticed that doesn't work, but somehow we try, we continue to try is we assume that we teach digital natives and they know the technology. And so we just throw the technology to them. Here's an iPad, go and do this research, go and make this presentation. And when you look at it at the end of the day, the quality of work that the student has done, if you really want to look at the impact on teaching and learning, is sometimes a struggle to find it. And so I think that my role as a coach has been 
to try and help teachers realize that um, let's look at what makes a good presentation, what are the actual skills that we want the students to learn. Uh, let's not just hand the technology to them and then go and then come back. Sometimes we, after we give them the work, we, we work with smaller groups. So when we're working with a smaller group, we might actually realize that they're struggling here. They actually don't have this skill. They're rushing through this part, which is why their work, there's frustration because their work hasn't been saved or things like that. So there are certain things that we can pick up, certain skills that we can teach in smaller groups. Uh, if we don't just assume that they know the skills, let them go and do the work and then just submit it. Deny, that's so interesting. You brought up that idea of the digital natives. EdSurge, which is an education uh, online magazine, actually has an argument that we should be teaching more of these discrete skills almost in isolation because we've made the assumption that these kids know that. And I think that's really powerful what you're highlighting is how important it is that some of these kids might actually not know how to do a good presentation. And they put war and peace on a slide and then you wonder why it doesn't make sense. So you got the pink and fuchsia with the green background and the gifts everywhere. Uh, you know, they're just these different things that happen. Kim. Um, yeah, and I wanted to mention, Cora said something about the role of the coach. And I think, I mean, that was what I did at Learning Too, right? Was That was my workshop I did at Learning Too. What does it mean to actually be a coach? And Aisha, you said about, you know, you've got literacy and numeracy coaches, but are we really clear with our schools on what that role entails, right? What does that coaching role actually look like? Or have we just erased ICT coordinator and written the word coach on top, right? Do teachers really understand what that coaching role looks like, that you're not there to do cover lessons for them when they need to go to the dentist, that, <laughs> you know, you, you have specific, a specific skill set that you are trying to push through um, the curriculum that you have eyes on um, and that you have the knowledge about, right? They're not expected to necessarily know every opportunity that they can use technology, but that's where we come in, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, this idea of the defining the role of the coach is something, you know, we've gone through these different permutations. So we were tech coaches, we were integration facilitators, tech coach, digital coach. It's like we're grappling with these names, hoping by a change of name yes. that there'll be greater clarity of our role. And I'm not sure that always happens. Aisha. So I just wanted to return to the point about the explicit teaching of skills to our digital natives, because I would also say that one thing Hattie talks about is feedback as growth. And I think the digital space provides like never before that opportunity for feedback. And a really good example of that is recently we did some SDG websites and we put all of the SDG websites on Padlets. And can I tell you, the ones, the teachers that use those Padlets to authentically seek out feedback from the peer feedback, from them giving feedback, me jumping and giving feedback, they were tenfold in better, better than if they, you know, than the sites that were just put on the Padlet for everyone to look at. So I think the technology provides an opportunity for us to engage with our students in different ways and to grow them in different ways rather than just perhaps a teacher being the only person able to to give that feedback. And so I think the explicit teaching skills and those success criteria and the learning intentions, it's one side of it, but also the opportunity for feedback and how we're building that in and teaching the teachers to build that into their lessons is also a really good opportunity for growth. Absolutely. Kim? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that's one of the places where we can grab teachers when we say we have some time saving tools to share with you. And maybe it's even in a, in a PD session, in a staff meeting or something where they're getting to see how we've chosen the tools. So we've, we've culled and we've pu pushed out some of the things that maybe don't work as well. We're showing them some really golden tools, right? And the opportunities to use them, especially for formative assessment and for feedback pieces where you're gonna actually save time. And so now me as a classroom teacher, I'm using Moat, I'm using Classroom, I'm using, I'm doing voice notes with the kids. All of those things are saving me buckets of time and any of those formative assessment pieces, I can see in the moment who can do what, 
can you do your fractions with unlike denominators? I can see that in the moment. If I'm on pair deck, I immediately can see who can do what, right? I'm not having to go home, take the books home, mark all the books, come back, and then maybe two or three days later, get back to that, that thing and say, oh, you two didn't know how to do it. I can figure it out <laughs> that minute, right? And yeah. make adjustments to my teaching. And so when you start to talk to teachers about those opportunities, but then it comes down to how do we get the time to share those opportunities with them when we're not rushed, right? When people, that's what teachers will say. Well, we need this in like a PD session or we need it in a staff meeting where we actually get time to absorb it, to think about it, to try it and get comfortable with it and then get that support when we go to use it. And I think you're so right. If you can have that immediate feedback and teachers witness that and see mm -hmm. the empowerment as Aisha was describing with her padlets and then you with the Pear Deck, I think that really sends a very strong message. And then maybe there's more of an intrinsic motivation by the teacher to engage with that. I want to come back to this idea of discrete skills, because if you go online, there have been quite a few articles about that where we've been doing integration over the years, but we're realizing a lot of kids don't know how to use a spreadsheet. Or if you open up an iPhone, they have no idea what the different parts are. So there is, and, and if we think of a tech immersed world and coding and AI, even if you don't have kids being coders, they should understand that there is a coding language called Python. There is this unity-based language and understanding that. Deny, how do you juggle discrete and integration? Are they, can they live together or you have to go one or the other? I'm just curious because you did bring up the discrete and you I love the way you described having little groups work on those discrete skills in a larger classroom. But how important are those discrete skills? And should we actually now, in the primary elementary context that you are, have actual classes of discrete tech skills? Um, yes and no. I think it all depends. And I think uh, teachers should be free to look at their schedules, look at their classes and their students and figure out which what works best for them. I could mention one, which is typing skills. We all want our students to be productive on the keyboard. We want them, but um, who really gives set aside sets aside time for them to practice their typing skills? So there are skills, there are there are uh, tools that the students can use and go at their own pace. Uh, they adapt adaptive to the child. But that idea of I really like the idea of stations in the classroom. So you can have different stations where students are working on maths. You can have students working on writing. You can have a group of students with you maybe practicing something else and then you can have another station when students are used to and familiar with the tools they can have a 10 or 15 minute typing session uh, or uh, they get onto this app that teaches them the, the, the coding. Uh, so the, the, the stations allow us to rotate during the day, and then students can actually focus on some of those discrete skills, which could actually be a choice. So you can have a choice board with that, that says, okay, at this particular time, which one am I working on? Which one have I not worked on this week? Um, so I think once, but teachers need to be comfortable enough and the students as well need to be exposed to be able to choose and pursue those in their own time. Excellent. I love the uh, rotation and the change, uh, the kind of the little, uh, you know, workstations. That's such a powerful uh, idea. Kim? I think as we're trying to move towards more student voice choice autonomy within our classrooms, when we're opening up our schedules and our timetables for the kids, if I'm making it really clear that they need to, which I'm doing, so I'm having these skills be super obvious, I can add and subtract fractions with unlike denominators and mixed numbers. And the kids have a variety of opportunities to explore what that looks like, to either teach themselves, work with me on the carpet, whatever that might be. Why don't we do the same exact thing with these tech skills? I can format a document, use bold, I can change the font, I can center text, I can add page numbers, whatever those things are, and providing assignments where, you know, we just wrote historical fiction in my class that would use all of those, those things. But if they don't know how to do that, there's opportunities for them to learn how to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Cora, you're in the secondary school, so chances are there are discrete tech courses, coding, computer science, and then you're doing the integration. How do you, you know, what is your thought about more discrete skills 
Uh, do you find that the students you're working with have those because they're coming up from a primary school maybe where it's taught? What are some of the creative tensions that you're witnessing? So um, currently in my school, if you're talking about this great technology lessons, it should be like design technology because we are um, we're IB school. But for me, because like we mentioned about students, they might be doing like the nine mentioned about might be doing writing or math this. I do believe that uh, every student is different. Of course, like some students are really good at PE, some students are really good at music. There's definitely a group of students, they're really good at technology. And so you offer this, this is a way for them to shine. And for me, I actually run several like tech clubs. I've been doing this quite a while and kids just love it. And in my tech clubs and the way do teach all of the great um, technology lessons and from primary all the way through to secondary and so with different focuses which is a really good way for students to learn technology especially if they're interested in this and they're like the young coaches they would bring this knowledge back to their classrooms and whenever we need them for example, I'm teaching VR and I need those VR focus group students. I would pull them out to my class and they will support people. They have this sense of belongings to our technology center. They were like, this is a place. We do have students. They would stay there all the time. Like when it's not lesson time, they just stay and they have their own little uh, drawer. They have their T-shirt. We have all of this. Whenever it's uh, like a holiday, Christmas or Chinese New Year, when you decoration, you don't even need to call anybody. Everybody will just come because they regard this place as a home, which is really great. Sorry, talking about the secondary. So because the secondary students are more individual and they're more independent and what they would do, they would kind of learn stuff by themselves. But again, like Asia mentioned, there is so many stuff out there and how can they choose it? So the, what I do is that I have this club student, like a whole club of students, we call tech ninjas. And they, based on their interest and they're working different focus group, like somebody working on this maker stuff, somebody working on VR, somebody working on filmmaking, somebody working on this like Apple applications, and they create their own like teaching materials and it was shared on this website, shared with all of the students. During the lesson time, for example, for year nine, they were like, oh, I don't know how to create a slides. Okay, fine. There's a website that go to there, check it step by step, and they will do this. This works really well for secondary, but I'm also getting involved with primary this year. So what I do with primary, um, we have student teach student workshop. So this tech club for younger tech club students, they would prepare for workshop. They teach their uh, they teach their peers, and also we create toilet tech tips and put all of the little tech tips in the toilet everywhere. That's great. <laughs> so that's well, what I, we I do. I think Cora, yeah. what's really interesting is that you're empowering the students to have ownership, and then also there's nothing better than checking for understanding by having to teach somebody else. I think that is just yeah. such an empowering and important pedagogic strategy is, you know, you have the skill. Could you explain it to a younger kid or an older kid? Denai, you had your hand up. Um, yes, I just wanted to add on the something that uh, we did in my previous school that I really liked if it is done well. Um, I think it really works uh, in the secondary school, which is, uh, we used uh, Google's Applied Digital Skills classes. So you get students onto this class. There's a little, there's a list of, of courses that they can take at their own time, at their own pace. And just like Cora said, oh, I need to know how to create a stunning presentation. There's a course on Applied Digital Skills. Take it at your own pace. You can watch the videos, retake them. They give you like a short project to make, and then you can get to know how to create a great presentation. Nice, nice. Aisha, your thought on this, this thank you, Denai, uh, on this discrete classes. So, Joe, you really got me thinking when you mentioned the Google Sheets because I had a moment in my previous school. We were auditing our current practice in technology. We were trying to develop a, a scope and sequence to try and keep track of what our children were learning and there was a question around our grade 10 students' knowledge of Google Sheets. And the question was simply asked, who's teaching that? 
and there was a bit of a look around the room. Who is teaching that? Whose responsibility is that? Is that the maths teacher? Is it the science teacher? The issue would come up in science. Who should be teaching that and taking responsibility? And I think the benefit of having discrete standalone lessons, and I certainly think the technology, there are times when that needs to happen, like the coding, where it just doesn't fit in it anywhere else. You can't force fit it into an inquiry. It, the maths curriculum's overloaded. You can't put it there. But there just needs to be time set aside to do those explicit lessons, but also monitoring when they're happening and at what level and are the children getting sufficient uh, explicit teaching in that space? Are they being challenged to go further with their knowledge? Are they getting the intervention? We have such a focus on Google Slides and presentations and, you know, iMovie and how much time are we spending on those Google Sheets or how much time are we spending on understanding how we code? So I think there is a bit of imbalance too within our technologies curriculum and there's certainly a case for discrete lessons when that happens because how do we know the impact if we're not monitoring it, measuring it and designing and developing it? Excellent. And it's interesting. I was uh, teaching a graduate course and we had an entrepreneur come in who was an international school student. And we said, what is the one thing you wish you had learned that you didn't learn? And guess what he said? Excel. <laughs> he was like, I wish somebody would have spent time on Excel with me because that's all I'm doing as an entrepreneur. You know, investors, his finances, uh, he, you know, a lot of different aspects. So that's a really important point that you bring up. Kim? Plus, I think if there's anything that I've seen that should be pulled out maybe and done discreet is robotics. Um, there are some units where you can kind of fit it in, but it needs time. Um, and like Aisha was saying, coding and artificial intelligence. I mean, chat GPT has just raised, raised the bar on what the kids need to know, right. About that and what the teachers need to know. So that's not an area where there's a lot of comfort level amongst general teaching staff. And that's a place where we as experts, so to speak, um, can help bridge that information. So the kids start to understand what that means. Yeah. Um, that's going to be their future. I mean, it's already here. So how can we, that comes from some discrete teaching, I think. Absolutely. Aisha? And just building on Kim's point, I think digital citizenship, I mean, digital citizenship has been on our radar for years. And how well is it done? You know, we live in an age where misinformation and fake news is the narrative and yet our kids are not able to spot it. And so I think, you know, the digital citizenship is another space on top of the coding and robotics and on top of those finer skills like understanding Excel and Google Sheets that we need to give time to because with chat GPT and those types of things, so much of our skills about writing are starting to diminish and yet being able to spot when we're reading things that are not true is going to increase. So I think we are starting to see a real shift in what we're going to be expecting our kids to come out with at the end of grade 12. And if we don't start to really target some of these uh, discrete skills in those explicit teaching moments, I think we miss an opportunity to prepare I, our yeah. kids, as Cora said, for the future. Absolutely. And I think this whole idea of ethics is so important. And maybe it's about now the curriculum leaders of our schools recalibrating what is essential. You know, if you can get ChatGPT to answer your question about Napoleon, do we need to be t teaching that anymore? Uh, or whatever it might be. It might be, you know, uh, whatever the economic zones of, uh, of Cambodia or something like that, something very factual. Cora. So um, I'm going to bring it a little bit back to the discrete technology, digital like skill lessons. And this year I'm doing this with the year six to support the PYP exhibition. And I found that, uh, well, that, so at the beginning I was doing this more like individually, just technology and support them doing something. And I found that I was a little bit dry just f from my personal experience, like in the lesson. So eventually what I changed is like, uh, whenever I teach this, like this great uh, technology lessons, I would combine with their units. So, for example, they're talking about sharing our planet. You all know this is like a classic PYP uh, topic. 
And so we started to create this VR experience with co-spaces, combining with coding and all of the design and also introducing VR. I talked to Asia about this and it went really well. So I've talked to the teachers after this and they figured out that it actually, actually we figured out that it actually makes the technology more powerful to present it to students. They know that so what they can do, also they feel more connected and it's like giving them different varieties to know that what technology can do. Meanwhile, they can apply what they have learned in the classes to this like tool. And when they finish this, they can present this like finish the projects back to the classes. It's kind of a mutual way to say this. I know I think there will be like a little bit argument here, but for me, like my personal experience, and I just think if there's a way we can integrate with something like the teaching topic unit, that would be great. Like doing presentation and they're not only doing presentation, for example, they are doing something about how to express ourselves. And for this unit, they can try to create a presentation about themselves. And this is like, make them feel more connected and motivated and have a little bit more specific goals, especially for younger students, I think. I mean, for primary. And I think in the context of the PYP exhibition, it's always so fraught with stress and suddenly, you know, you realize they don't know how to make presentations. They don't know how to search. So I think your point's a really important one, Cora. Thank you for sharing. Kim? Um, My aha moment this year in grade five has been we've been doing passion projects and that has been super unsuccessful in the past. Um, But the passion projects this year, I'm scaffolding it a lot. Um, So it's any topics that the kids are interested in. They had to do an elevator pitch to me and to the whole class. And we poked holes in what their questions were. And then it's, it's very scaffolded. So they're getting that research process. They're figuring out how to, how they want to present it, how they want, even their elevator pitch, they had to figure out a way to present their elevator pitch to the class and so on. So it's building up towards PYP exhibition for us in grade five um, with something that the kids are already super excited about, whether that's, you know, planets or, why cats freak out and run around during the day, whatever it is that they're researching, literally somebody's researching that. (laughs) But they're getting those skills without me having to do too much, right? So I'm doing a few lessons, scaffolding, and they're off on their own. So in addition to what you said, Cora, about building it into units, it's also coming in from another place as well. Nice. Good night. So I think that's where our role as integrationists and coaches come in to sit with the teachers during when we sit with them and talk about the curriculum during the planning sessions. If the teachers in the, in my experience, if teachers in the PYP exhibition have expressed that the students don't know how to create graphs in uh, Google Sheets, then I'll talk to the grade four teachers and in some cases they might be present as well and we could agree to start teaching some of those skills integrate them into the units in grade four in such a way that when they get to grade five and they have to actually apply this it's something that they're already familiar with that they can use so i think our our role there is to try and look at these areas of the curriculum and try and see where do these skills fit in. At my current school, we have information literacy standards for each grade, and we need to carefully look at um, at each grade level. Are we preparing students for the skills that they need for the following grade level? Uh, we did something similar. I mentioned the applied digital skills before in in secondary school at one school where all the teachers sat down and we looked at all the skills, all the courses that are offered in the applied digital skills and then looked at at which grade level do they need to know how to uh, create charts and do things like this. And then we can offer these courses to the students at, at a particular grade level. Thank you, Dina. And one thing that I think is important, uh, you mentioned the sitting down with teachers and having those conversations and finding the opportunities to unpack these ideas, as you were suggesting. One thing that I know that all of you do, and Kim and Dina actually have done a lot of presentations for apps events, uh, have worked with Dan, and I know Aisha and Cora do a lot of professional development and definitely something that you guys do so well. where is that? You know, if if we feel that we're not making progress or we're still grappling with when can we integrate, 
What have you noticed with professional development over your tenure in your respective schools? Has things changed? Is there greater engagement? Or are we still paralyzed by this issue of time and the plate being too full? Can I start with you, Denai? Um, so in my role, we talk about it a lot with, with the other coaches at my school. Sometimes we're discouraged, but if we really look at it, I think we make some progress every now and again. Almost every month there's a teacher who's willing to work with me to look at how we can introduce coding to the students. For example, a few months ago, we just uh, introduced students to the EV3 robots uh, when the teacher was uh, introducing fractions to the students. So there are those frustrations, but every now and again, I think there are teachers who are willing that we make some progress. And whenever we have those success stories, I think what we really need to do is shout about them and uh, tell the other teachers and share our successes and why this was helpful for teaching and learning. Thank you, Aisha. I think the biggest shift, John, in professional development that I've seen is that during COVID, I think we got a bit of a realisation that we couldn't do a one-size-fits-all model, that the variation between skill level is quite large. And so PD being responsive, PD being sometimes in the moment, and PD not always being led by the expert in the room. So, you know, how are we lifting up great practitioners in our school and allowing them to shine and allowing them to share their, their knowledge and skills. And also professional development doesn't always need to look like one hour after school with the person in charge. Professional development now can look really different depending on our teachers' needs, depending on our team needs, depending on our elementary school needs. And so part of our job is to make sure that the people are getting what they need on our staff. So if teachers are really good at technology, that they're not sitting through PD that they already know about, that they are going further with their learning and giving them permission to do that. But also providing, I think it's a bit like when Denai said about the digital natives with our students, it's not assuming that just because we've been through COVID that all of our teachers are now tech experts because they're not. And so giving the support to those teachers that still need it is still really part of what I do every week in my role, as well as thinking differently about how I can challenge those people on staff that are really our you know, front runners, early adopters and change makers in the school. So thinking about professional development, not as a one size fits all, but rather what do people need from me and from this space? Nice. Very nice. Kim? 100%. I agree. Um, and that statement too about, well, we, we've had COVID and we've been through that. So everybody now has all these great skills. No, they don't. They're good at maybe using Zoom or Meet or whatever tool they use, but loads of teachers were barely keeping their heads above water. Um, so trying 16 different tools was not where their brain space was at. They had no capacity for that. So I agree, there's still the need for us to support them. It also opened up this idea that we can do PD in other ways. We can offer self-guided classes. They can go on to Seesaw or wherever and do the little tutorial there. Um, especially if, I think if the school is highlighting it as something that's important, that teachers are setting a professional goal around technology, um, then that gives you professional development time, whether it's in a staff meeting or wherever, to have some people that are with you um, running something more specific and other people are working on their tech goal, which might be a self-guided course. It might be sitting together with another couple of teachers who are experts in that um, to learn a little bit more, to see examples of that. Our most successful staff meetings were speed geeking where it's 15 minutes, you get four sessions in the hour, um, and it's other teachers, it's not just my voice. It's other people who I've sort of, hey, you're really good at this, you should do this for your quick speed geeking session. And then the opportunity then to follow up with that person after that hour of touring around. They have choice in what they go and see and what they do, they see other people, other voices, other examples of how something's used. Um, and then like Denai was saying, just being in those planning sessions is absolutely critical. Not necessarily the whole time, not necessarily every time, but to have enough familiarity with what's going on around the school 
to see those opportunities to say, hey, I could use the robots here. Do you want me to come in and I'll do this and this with you? Um, so all of those pieces are super, super important. And I think both Denai and you uh, were alluding to the idea that we really need to celebrate those teachers that intrinsically are motivated to get into technology and are comfortable. And, and as you gave the example, Denai, of a positive, very constructive, successful lesson, let them go to the staff room or to their team meeting and say, hey, I did this much more powerful than if Kim and Denai and Aisha and Cora are always telling teachers to integrate. You know, you yeah. want to have other voices. Um, so one thing that I've, I've tried to do in just in the past couple of months, a new initiative I've started is I, I've learned to now use video. So in those successful lessons that we've done, I've tried to capture images, use video, compile a short video that other teachers can watch and analyze and, and really see what it is that make that made this lesson work and then they could be hopefully they'll be able to apply that as well in their classes or be able to say oh can you come in i really like this can you come and show me and explain to me how i can do it in my class nice cora in a secondary school of course you're doing a lot of professional development do the things that our guests have resonate or do you think there's some differences in the secondary context um, I think definitely, like, I believe every teacher is really busy. Like, teachers in my school, especially in the secondary section, they have endless meetings. There's no way you can get them. So I think what's really important is starting with the coaching culture. So when I started the job, there's, like, nobody ever talked to me. They even, some of them even didn't know there is, like, a position happening, existing there. <laughs> um, so I started with, like, building this coaching culture, I think, which is really important, just present yourself, make sure that you're there. Everybody knows you. So I started to, I think that's part of the PD. I totally agree with what Asia mentioned. Like PD nowadays, is not the PD we're thinking about. And so, so I started with uh, those poster, tap tips every week, just harassing people. Oh, that's me. That's the thing. Maybe you will be useful. It got a huge success at some turning points because Zoom and online teaching, they were like, so sick of grading. Do we have anything like like moat and talk and comment something? And people start to know me. So what I do with PD is like, I would ask the head of department, can I join your department meeting just for five minutes? And I went through all of the curriculum. So being secondary, you a lot of times you probably won't have a lot of opportunities to talk to teachers. So in my hands, I'm grabbing this, like all of this PYP, DP curriculum. I go through everything and I think that might be possible for them to do it. The reason is not asking them to say yes, just to get their interest and attention. And when they got it and some of them would drop an email to me. And so what I started, I would do backward designing. I would ask them, what are your expectations? where you want students to be at by the end of this lesson and how much time you would give to me. So we started to plan out backward like this, step by step. Um, I think the other thing is really important for the PD, like you mentioned, it's individual meeting with them and it's like tailored PD. And so the most, the best way to advertise yourself is from other teachers. So I usually work with one teacher and they were like talking within the department. They're like, oh, Cora is great. That's that. And so, well, I don't know how they talk about me, but a lot of times maybe. <laughs> and I would get some more teachers just drop emails to me. Um, I started the job three years ago with four months without email. Now every week I would get the teachers drop an email, ask how they can do this. I heard this teacher did that. Can I do this? And during this planning session, I just teach them how to do things. And it's another way of doing a PD. So I really love it. And also I think I, I think maybe all of you will agree that being coach is such a self-driven job. You got so many no's and everybody's, oh, sorry, I'm busy. I get back to you and it's just nothing. And you wait for months, weeks, and nobody will talk to you. So you just got to pump yourself up. It's just keep talking to them like, hey, can I do this? Can I do that? And I also found the other PD is just make, just make teachers become your friends. Do you want to grab a co coffee? And we started to talk about, oh, we can do this. This is great. Something like this. Um, yeah, I know Asian love at this. Like I do this a lot, especially with parents. Everybody wants to become my coach. So I just kind of 
coach coach them and why they are trying to coach me. So I think that just like also being coached as like salesperson and you just it's like bridge yeah. that I mentioned about you know, like but bridge also your personality you try just to connect with teachers and technology and you are the person who's trying really hard to sell them. So stuff. true. And Kim is just putting the uh, in the chat door to door vacuum clean salesperson. Yeah. You know, I mean, the uh, fact that oh, you, yeah, know, yeah. you have to really not take the no personally. And it's about really being able to be creative and finding little opportunities. Sometimes just helping somebody with their personal phone issue can gravitate into a tech integration moment. Uh, so I think, you know, it's about just being so accessible, open. You have to be super patient, you know, very, uh, a, a sense of kindness and empathy and really willing to listen and listen to hear. I think all these things that you're describing are just so essential to this journey of a tech integrator, digital coach. We have so many titles. That's what I think is so interesting. Aisha, you wanted to share. I was just going to say on the flip side, it really is so rewarding, but you touched all of that, John, you know, that idea that when people come and they're really opening up and being very vulnerable because teachers are experts, aren't they? Yeah. And it's really hard sometimes to admit that you don't know something, but when you make those breakthroughs and for me, sometimes it's with the most reluctant people, the ones that yeah. push back the hardest when they come around and they end up being your greatest supporter, you know, your mouthpiece to the rest of the staff about what a great job you're doing. There's yeah. something to be said about that too that makes you feel, like, feel really good that you've had an impact and that you've made a difference to somebody's teaching practice. So lots Thank of good you. stuff too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, it's just so wonderful and so rich to hear your different anecdotes and your strategies. I know that uh, you bring so much to your respective schools. As we wrap up, if you had a minute with a school leader, what would you want them to understand about what might we all need to understand about the future of digital technology? ChatGPT3, there's been a lot of traffic. We keep coming back to it. But the fact is, there are going to be more that are even more intense and more game changers. This is just the beginning. And I'm just wondering if you have, you know, what do you think school leaders and, and team leaders and grade leaders, what is something that you think they should be mindful of or be thinking of as we go into 2023 and continue this journey of digital integration, tech integration and digital skills? I'm just going to let Denai, thank you for kicking off. I would say a big thing is uh, shared vision. So whatever the vision is for the school, it needs to be clearly uh, stated. So we just talked about our roles. And I like how Cora mentioned, you know, sometimes you hear teachers saying, oh, we, we don't we don't really know what she does. What is what is her job? What does she do here? Um, so I think the shared vision, making the role of the coach very clear speaking the same language as the coaches and being seen as uh, just, I don't know whether it's using the same tools as the coaches uses and things like that, uh, that really makes uh, my role important and makes sure that everybody's on the same page because you cannot coach somebody who doesn't want to be coached. They have to be willing and um, that's how it would work. Thank you, Denai. Wonderful. And I can't agree with you more, this idea of the shared vision. Anybody else? Thoughts? Kim? I would say value the role. So in addition to what Denai said, really value that role. Um, stay in touch with that. If you're a school leader, stay in touch with that ed tech person so that you kind of can keep your own finger on the pulse of what's new, what's changing, what's coming up. Um, and those, I don't know if they're weekly, but at least meetings enough to know what's kind of going on in the school and where the, the points are, where maybe we need to push a little bit harder. Um, and right now our PYP coordinator has been fabulous at modeling tools in every, every interaction he's having with staff. Nice. Um, but he has the skills to do it, but he's also showing how it can be used, being vulnerable in front of the staff and saying, Hey, this was new to me, but I'm trying it out. Um, so it's a little more exposure for everybody from a different angle. 
So all of the points tonight said plus that. Thank you. <laughs> Cora? Um, so I totally agree with Denai and the Kim mentioned about this. I wish um, the school could just do like, I don't want to lose my job, but I wish they could do like monthly and weekly checking with coaches about what's going on. So it's more like down to ground. Meanwhile, I think it would be great if we could have a little bit policy support and instead of coach just does things by their self, by themselves. And so if they could have more support, that would be great, like from the upper level. That would make the coaching job much easier and more teachers would be willing to work with coach. Thank you, Cora. Aisha. I would say be brave. Be brave, be fearless, because the future is exciting. Let's plan for it. Let's embrace it. Let's not shy away from it. And no, let's not keep doing what we've always done because we'll get what we've always got. Let's do different things. Let's embrace what's coming. And let's put the children at the center of our decision making. Thank you. And it's again always about the student at the center. So, Aisha, thank you for those wise words. Kim, Cora, Denai, and Aisha, thank you so much. Again, to our audience, please go to the show notes. They've put their, their links. You can follow them on social media and hear a bit more about who they are. And definitely reach out to them if you have any questions or things resonated. I know all four of them would be happy to connect with you and have further discussions. Thank you all. And uh, so appreciate your insights and your thoughts on this topic and uh, look forward to being in touch. Thank you so much. Have a good week, everybody. Again, to our audience, thank you for your uh, comments. Again, Dan and I can always be reached through LinkedIn. And don't hesitate to reach out if you have questions or you have any ideas that we should be engaging with. Thank you so much. Thank you.